0: Okay, okay, I'll shut up about Tottenham.
1: All right. How many ways is this World Cup torturing me?
0: Jesus Christ. (laughs) Stop it. Okay, come on. Welcome back to Game of Our Lives. I'm David Goldblatt and I'm taking a breath and hanging on for dear life. There's just a week to go of World Cup 2018, and somehow England are still in it. We've got two semi-finals in two days: Croatia, Belgium, France, and England. And with me as ever to process the madness is Al Jazeera's Tony Caron and producer Roger Shah. Tony Karen, hello. Hello, David.
2: I'm right I'm coming to you from the South African countryside, the unreconstructed South African countryside, where there's a sign in my hotel room inviting me to come and watch rugby on the big screen
0: <laughs> yes it takes me back to the uh- being in the Karoo Desert and trying to watch a Ghana game in the middle of the 2010 World Cup and being pretty much the only people in the bar who were noticing. I know that feeling. Raja, how are you feeling? I'm alright. I'm very much not in rugby country here in San Francisco. <laughs> no, I don't think they would know No from rugby. Tony is going to be with us holding up on the Skype collection as best we can, but we have called in, necessarily, given the intellectual complexity and cultural fiendishness of this moment, some re- enforcements and it is once again my nemesis on the question of england karnish Thoreau. hello karnish
1: nogomet nemadoma david nogomet nemadoma
0: which
1: <laughs> i'd like you to know, translate that for me my, according to my reliable friend google translate is croatian for football has no home <laughs>
0: as they're saying on twitter just at the moment would football want to come home it's a truly (laughs) extraordinary moment as we are recording this anticipating england's clash in the semi-final with croatia the english ruling class and political system are tearing themselves into small pieces we have the most united and loved england team for a very long time and we have truly the most divided government in a very long time Karnisk let me ask you right now at this moment straight ahead england croatia who are you with uh you
1: know david i'm afraid i am the in the anybody but england camp i will be supporting croatia though i fully expect england to get past them but of course at the same time i i have it oh, stop, me. stop!
0: of carnage carnage let's just just rewind there a moment did <laughs> i hear you say you fully expect england to get past croatia
1: Oh, I do. Yes, I actually mean that seriously. I mean, I mean that both sincerely and insincerely, because you know, if it can jinx you, that that's fine. But I, I, I genuinely think there's, there's, as it seems to be clear now, there's a kind of moment of destiny reaching this English team, and I think a, a trip to the World Cup final is in the offing. And just the disarray and dissolution we're seeing in Whitehall, in the cabinet, is just more, more fuel for that fire that seems to be burning.
0: Are you in any way queasy? about getting into bed with Croatia?
1: You know, listen, I I am fully aware of the sort of difficult stories that have come out over the past few weeks from the Croatian camp, where, for example, I believe after they defeated Argentina, Dejan Lovvin was singing songs that were very much referring to the sort of fascist Ustasa government past of Croatia, the Croatian equivalent of Heil. We know that Croatian fans can often be quite far-right arch-nationalists. And I think we have to accept that Croatia... As a young, fairly small country, its symbols of nationalism are enmeshed with that sort of troubled time of the 1940s when,
0: you know, but what, let's, not, let's get...
2: not talk only about World War II. We can talk about right now as well. Talk about it right now, sure. Tony. So,
0: where do, you, where do you sit right now? Well,
2: there are four European teams in the semi finals. Absolutely. What's interesting about them is that three of those teams represent a Europe that's come to terms with inclusion of the people who were colonized. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, ongoing challenge. Whereas Croatia represents a Europe that shuts its doors. To the very people who make up the French team, who make up the Belgian team and who make up the England team. So for me, there's no question.
1: But, you know, at the same time, we should also recognize that this is a quite divided moment within Croatia about the national team. I think it is fair to say that the left in Croatia has always found it difficult to embrace the national team in so much because this is a country that came into being essentially in 1990, um, or in the early 90s. And the national team itself has had to bear so much of the weight of not only the creation of the nation, but of the conflict that accompanied it. And so uh, inevitably, I think the edges are very rough there. Uh, You know, I completely accept that there are a lot of distasteful things about the nature of, this, of Croatian football support, of the culture of the players. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there are stories within the team like that of Danijel Subasic, right, who is this goalkeeper. His father was um, was effectively served. He was Orthodox Christian and had to endure so much. And even now in the, in the media debate, uh, questioning his identity, questioning his desire to marry a Croat woman, um, He's endured all of this and persevered and has played a starring role in this World Cup so far. So, I don't, I mean, I don't, I mean we've been reluctant to essentialize the English. Let's not entirely essentialize the Creations either. Yeah,
0: I can't agree with you more, Carnage. That's a really fantastically good point. It's a very mixed bag. And, Tony, you in particular have been pointing out on Twitter and elsewhere some of the bad, ugly mob behavior that's been associated with um, England. The thing, I mean, the,
2: the no surrender to the Ikea. <laughs> I thought
0: that was brilliant. You'll have to explain that one to the people.
2: Well, the knuckleheaded right-wing England fans, uh, you know, that traditionally chanted no surrender to the IRA for who knows what reason. Some of the same element invaded and trashed an Ikea store in the UK on the weekend following their victory over Sweden, hence no surrender to the (laughs) IKEA.
1: <laughs> I thought that was a hilarious scene. Obviously, it played well on social media because it confirmed sort of many stereotypes about loutish English football fans. But at the same time, I thought it was such an exuberant pain to global globalize sort of middle-class domesticity, to go to an IKEA and happily sing, it's coming home in an IKEA. <laughs> so I thought that was quite a great moment. I mean, IKEA should use it as an advertisement themselves. That's funny
2: is kind of uh, wanting us to to embrace that as an anti-globalization riot
1: no, I think it's actually it's like an homage to global. It's a, it's 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 coming home. It's coming home, and they're there in the IKEA and they celebrate. They're throwing around
0: throw cushions and ottomans and jumping on sofas. Yeah, because what home looks like in England these days sure doesn't look like what it yes. was looking like in the nineteen fifties. Exactly. There's an awful lot less chintz and an awful lot more laminated bookcases than they yeah, used to strange be. Name. There's also on social media. The other side of the coin in England, I mean, some really fantastic little bits of footage. And one I, you know, I tweeted out was of a a Sikh wedding over the weekend where you've got the whole crew dancing like crazy to football's coming home. Or indeed, the reports from my son, who was at St. Paul's Carnival. This weekend in Bristol, which is the um, traditional Afro-Caribbean migrant zone of inner Bristol that's been holding this carnival for 50 years. And there, you know, packed into the squares and the streets of the inner city in Bristol, you've got the most unbelievably diverse young crowd who simultaneously are dancing to grime, to drum and bass, but also to football's coming home in a whole bunch of versions and variations and DJ sets. And that's a, that's a very very special thing I think to see in this country at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, just a note of caution in general. We know from experience of so many countries that, as much as we would love to believe that you know football is the harbinger of of all of this progress, it certainly always offers a symbol of what could be possible. But as to what will actually transpire, that remains to be fought for. It really does. I mean, Britain right now is in the throes of something really interesting because of the turmoil at the top in the Tory party over Brexit and so on. But the outcomes are far from settled. You hope that the feel-good element that the football progress brings, inspires people on the street to take back a Britain that is about inclusion, that's about a more cosmopolitan and connected identity and that is more social democratic, that prizes the National Health Service almost as the you know, the, the prize of, of what Britishness is. And you
0: know, prizes, I mean, in a, almost a less politicised way, seeking the uh, a bit more common ground, a national identity that prizes civility and politeness and preparedness and people who actually answer the question and don't run away from things when they go wrong i mean just that that sort of basic level of competence the ruling class at the moment has completely and utterly failed and that again is why southgate and the team are are, are such a kind of powerful sort of symbol just for doing really simple things differently
3: well can i just say by the way you know speaking of civility this is a level i mean i'm all all for nuance and reason but this is a level of civility that the three of you Are exhibiting now that i did not see on twitter over the weekend uh i mean
2: winding up david it's like am i taking the piss or is he just giving it away
0: (laughs) i can't help it tony this is why i'm not a politician because i'm always ready for a fight i could start a fight with myself on these kinds of issues which is why i really should keep away from twitter because it fires all of my worst buttons
2: I just I, I do worry about you and the prospect of a uh, Belgium-England showdown because that really is kind of Tottenham Hotspur split down the middle, isn't it?
0: <laughs> oh, well, there's a joy and a problem that I look forward to experiencing. Mind you, I'd be pretty pleased with France-England as well. Gentlemen, let me just ask you, Russia finally sent out by Croatia on penalties. Do you think it's going to make a difference to Croatia? It's an old team. They've done two lots of 120 minutes. Can they recover from that?
1: They're walking wounded. You saw at the end of the game against Russia, the match against Russia, they'd lost their right back. Mandzukic was limping. Mandzukic was their best striker. Their goalkeeper, Subasic, who has been heroic through much of the tournament, was clearly injured as well. So much of the the energy of this team, the craft of this team, is sort of resting on the little engine of Luka Modric. And again, I do think that he's the kind of player that the English lack and could be well placed to exploit that gap in the English midfield. But I just think there's too much energy, there's too much speed, there's too much uh, spirit right now in this English team to let the Croatians defeat them. Tony, any thoughts on that?
2: Yes, I absolutely agree with, with Kanish. Not only are they walking wounded, but Croatia doesn't play a very fast game. You know, this generation of England is all about pace, the pace of attack. So, you know, you look at someone like Rasalko, the, the right back that, as Kanish said, is, is out injured. He's one of their better players. I, you know, again, we might be jinxing it, but I, I don't think England is facing Croatia at its best.
1: It would be sad for me if England won the World Cup because the idea of an England world champion is is more than I can really handle right now. But worse so is because I managed to schedule the baptism of my half Puerto Rican Catholic child, not not just on the day of the World Cup final, but during the World Cup final itself.
0: Oh, so no, stop it. You're joking. Seriously,
1: Yeah, I mean, it has to do... It's One of the reasons is I don't schedule the times that a church does Mass. But also, it has, has to do with family visiting. So it, it's a bit difficult for me to sort of coordinate their schedules around the, the World Cup. Though I should have... Uh, this retrospect. is time
0: for a dispensation from the Pope, surely.
1: I know. So, so would I, I would just, I'd rather not have be sitting worrying about Harry Kane stooping to head past Jan Vertonghen. Oh god! Terrible images
0: all around. Can I just say, guys, you are seriously freaking me out. Yeah, you you should be worried. <laughs> You're welcome. You're seriously, seriously freaking me out. I, I be can't p- believe what I'm hearing from you. I see your points. I don't disagree with you, but you are freaking me out. England actually in the World Cup final? No, surely not. Not in my lifetime. But we're completely
1: objective, David. So you have to take everything we say quite quite literally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Gentlemen, you are jinxing it. I'm putting my fingers in my ear. I'm getting the garlic out. I'm drawing a pentagram. Talking of which, once again, no Vladimir Putin for the Russia-Croatia game. But there's another member of the undead that's been on my mind, that's been haunting this World Cup. Raja, I've got a story coming on here. So hit the lights and give me some music. All right. There's a ghost at the World Cup this year in Russia. The ghost of Joao Havelange. Joao Havelange, the president of FIFA 1974 to 1998, who died age 100. Though I'm not entirely convinced myself. I will actually have to see the silver dagger through the heart before I believe it. So Joao Havelange, He's the king. He's the emperor. He's the Mao. And Havelange's ghost is with us because the World Cup as it is today, FIFA as an institution as it is today, and in some ways football as a whole as it is today, owes a mighty debt to the endeavours of Joao Havelange during his time at FIFA. He's the man who commercialised the World Cup, who brought sponsorship in, who realised the value of the television rights, and who built FIFA into the global institution that it has become of course along the way he introduced the patronage politics the clientelism and the corruption that characterizes brazilian politics and brazilian football and make them global there are two rather good stories about joao Avalanche that i wanted to tell you the first has to do with the 1982 world cup in spain and the ticketing for that event is being run by a man called Raimondo Saporta, who works, I believe, for Real Madrid. And he has allocated 400 tickets to Joao Havalange personally for the Brazil game against Russia. However, those tickets are behind the goal and Joao Avalanche expects his Brazilian network to be in the VIP stands. So he goes and sees Raimondo Saporta. He walks into his office, locks the door, and in a really classy touch, closes the windows and lowers the blinds. He sits down in the chair opposite supporter, who is a man with a heart condition and a very considerable girth. And he says, "Cool as a cucumber, I can stay here for 72 hours without having a piss, a food, or sleep." You, on the other hand, might well die because I am not going to let you leave until I've got my tickets in my hands. By all accounts, a couple of hours later, he left with those tickets in his hands. My other Joel Haviland story is rather more personal. In 2005, I went to Frankfurt to the Confederations Cup, and we get to the hotel, and of course it's the FIFA HQ Hotel, 17 stars, and we go off to the FIFA bar, the fanciest bar as you can imagine, in the hotel, and we make ourselves comfortable. As with most bars, there's one seat that's the king's seat. The one that means that, you know, if there are assassins around, they're going to have to look you in the eye. You've got the whole bar covered and your back protected. So, of course, I go and sit in that seat. And we're sitting there and we're talking and we're wondering what we're going to do when suddenly, at the corner of my eye, I sense a presence. And that presence is dressed from head to foot in very expensive blue and silver silk with a kind of slight check pattern. And it takes quite a long time to take this in because the dude who is wearing this $5,000 suit is six foot six. And by the time I get to his cadaverous head, I realise it is none other than João Havalange, surrounded by a whole bunch of blazered FIFA fact with their... Um, clipboards and their mobile phones and he turns his head slowly and looks at me and I can see immediately he's thinking why are you in the FIFA bar who are you and more to the point why are you sitting in my chair and our eyes lock now For those of you who've experienced Harry Potter, the movies, there's a lot of moments when Voldemort, the most evil magician in the world, encounters Harry and they get their wands out and all sorts of crazy electromagnetic activity comes out of the two of them, connects together, and then they freak out. And for about five seconds, that's what happened i almost thought about moving i kind of sensed you know like this man really did have a kind of aura and we locked eyes and thank god one of the dudes with him kind of called his attention away to something much more important than this urchin sitting in the bar and he was gone in a flash So Joao Havelange, let us render unto Caesar what is Caesar's due. And in Joao Havelange's case, that is respect for his mastery of the dark arts of institutional and charismatic power. And the World Cup in all its commercial garishness and all of its super politicization is unquestionably his legacy to us.
3: So just to be clear, David, you're Harry Potter in this scenario. <laughs> yes, I am Harry Potter in this scenario, with more hair. <laughs> and who are Tony and Cunnish then? <laughs> I think I think Tony's got to be Ron Weasley. Cunnish, unfortunately, I think that makes you Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, I think I think for people listening to this, they may not actually be able to see pictures of Havalanche. I'm surprised. I'm impressed that David managed to withstand his gaze. He's a really <laughs> forbidding presence. And uh, he looks to me kind of like a cross between Mustafa Kemal Ataturk and Saruman from Lord of the Rings. He's a pretty scary looking guy.
0: <laughs> now you're talking, Karnish. That's a combination that works for me.
2: I just want to, you know, I, let me fly the flag for Africa here for a second. As everything you've said about Havalange, absolutely true, no question. That said, African football is in a lot better shape in terms of representation in the World Cup thanks to Havelange. You know, the fact that he depended on African votes to get where he got in FIFA had a very positive effect on, on opening up the World Cup to African teams. So that part of the legacy is very much something, you know, we treasure despite all the corruption and all the other things.
0: Absolutely. And it's not just the World Cup places. It's also Junior World Cups, Youth World Cups that have gone to Africa, more places on committees, more places on the executive committee, more power generally and not only that but also serious and solid support for the exclusion of apartheid south africa from exactly. world football you know exactly. so all of that absolutely the cost of course for getting into bed with the devil is the entrenchment of the corrupt elites in African football that have held it back so badly. I mean, all of those processes, while at the same time opening up opportunities for African football and African players and African coaches, have provided the means and the ideological cover for a really bad set of administrators and politicians to run the game. So, totally recognise Havelange's contribution to African football, but my, it's come at a cost. Roger. We need to move to what to watch.
3: Well, I mean, uh, we're in the semifinals, David. I think I, I know what I'll be watching. I think we do know what we're watching, but we must come up with something interesting to say about it, surely. <laughs> Give us the music. Sure, yes, of course. We can't deprive you of the bumper because as we've established, <laughs> this is the good luck charm of the three lines, so. Love the bumper, dude.
0: <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. <laughs> what,
3: what, to, what to watch,
1: to watch. What, 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 to watch.
0: Okay, guys, I am too full of Brexit, Boris Johnson, three lions, waistcoats, football's coming home or not. It's over to you for Belgium, France. Clearly, it's going to be a sensational game of football. These, to my eyes, these are the two best and most exciting teams in this tournament. What are you going to be looking for? Tony.
2: As you say this is going to be a fantastic game of football these are the two most exciting attacking teams in the tournament that said I think Belgium plays a little more on the front foot than than France does I think they're a little less cautious I don't think Martinez has it in him the coach to lock things down they play you know they're going to keep attacking to the end I think this is a fantastic contest between you know the immigrant populations of Belgium and France it's very hard emotionally to kind of settle on one or the other my sense is that Belgium's midfield is just that much more exciting if you when you have Azard, Eden Hazard of Chelsea and you have uh, Kevin De Bruyne of Manchester City on song they are really unstoppable with Romelu Lukaku up front Absolutely. He has been, for me, the player of the tournament. He is an immensely gifted striker in terms of his guile, his craft. He, he has run the game. So many of Belgium's goals that he hasn't scored, he's made by his running, what he's been doing off the ball, and what he does on the ball is magnificent. For me, he thus far has been the player of the tournament. I would give Belgium a slight edge here.
0: Karnischke. I think the
1: best goal of the tournament so far uh, was the Belgian's third goal, winning goal in the last minute of the game against Japan and that was a goal where Lukaku didn't touch the ball but he made it completely just by his movement um, we also have in Belgium the prospect of the wall of hair that is Marouane yeah. Fellaini Yes, I was going to say,
0: the much maligned Marouane Fellaini is having a fantastic World Cup, no? He is,
1: I mean, I'm I'm not terribly fond of him but uh, he, he's a very effective player. I mean, you can't, he's all elbows sometimes and uh, can be quite, uh, quite nasty. Spiky. But this is also, uh, this is a clash between basically the Bournemouth of Paris and the suburbs of Brussels. Um, so in a sense, this is a kind of, it's the meeting of the tower blocks, you know, it's a clash of two kinds of backgrounds that are quite similar to each other.
0: Okay, guys, that's enough on Belgium for us. Make the case. What's what's the case for France here? I mean, in football terms, not just uh, not just in political terms. What do you make of them? I guess in football terms,
2: France's midfield potentially negates Belgium's. So you could make a case for Ungolo, Kanté, and Paul Pogba actually shutting down the service to Romelu Lukaku. Uh, France have plenty of attacking options. You can imagine France stealing this by, by one goal because of Griezmann and and Mbappe in particular. Uh you know, I, I wouldn't count them out. It's very they're very closely matched teams.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I also think that Belgium have really uh, been been exceeding themselves at times they, they in their recovery against Japan, in their defeat of Brazil. I don't think we've seen this French team play beyond itself just yet. I think they've been playing within themselves. That, I think, is in part a function of the more cautious approach that Deschamps has, their coach. Um, But I think there's another gear that this French team can switch to that has not been visible yet in the World Cup. So I'm curious to see if they ever achieve that. And it might be that they do in what I agree with Tony is an incredibly well-matched and tantalizing game between them and Belgium.
0: Okay, Roger Shah, that's a pretty fabulous feast place before you. You've kept your cards very close to your chest. Who are you rooting for in these two games?
3: I'm I'm, uh, firmly on team anyone but France. Uh, this is this is the one thing that I think Americans of all stripes seem to come together on is irrational
0: disdain for the French. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so that that puts you with the Belgians. Where are you going with Croatia, or England? Croatia, England is tougher. Um,
3: Luka Modric does seem pretty cool. But uh, like I said, I'm sticking with Team England, the three lines on this one for host producer Harmony, if no other reason. <laughs>
0: Garrett Southgate, Harry Kane, you heard it here first. Raja Shah is with you. There are precious few games left. There's precious time left. It's time for us to go and enjoy it. This show has been a production of Al Jazeera's Jetty Studios. It was recorded at the Soundtown Studios in Bristol, UK. Music as ever by Bang Data. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. It's there on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, Leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at, at Game of Our Lives. It just remains to say thank you, Garnish Fuller. Nogomets <laughs> nemadoma. And thank you, Tony Caron, In your little car in somewhere difficult in South Africa. Until the lions have historians of their own, tales of the hunt will always glorify the hunt. <laughs> Man, you do good on the quote front. Raja Shah, thank you very much. Thanks, David. I'm David Goldblatt, and we'll see you on Friday.
2: We love Bright Flakes, Rugby, Sunny Skies, and Chevrolet. They go together in the good old RSA. Bright Flakes, Rugby, Sunny Skies, and Chevrolet. I could have sung that online, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be at the end of the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>